There's no easy way to start this, except come out and say it plainly, with full conviction, knowing that you will judge me, even despise me. But here it is. I am addicted to having sex with my home appliances. There, I said it. I know what you're thinking. What a disgusting pervert. And that when it comes down to it, I don't disagree. It is weird, and yes, even perverted. Most of you have probably never even heard of someone like me, to even know that it was a thing. Now, before you get all in your head about it, Google all the mental illnesses I could have or what kind of fetish this is before you jump on the judging train. I feel I must explain how this all began. It started so innocently, as most things do. Me, a dumb, impressionable teen in the 90s watching the famous American Pie apple pie scene with my friends. I vividly remember sitting in my parents' basement, the movie playing on the big box television set, all four of us laughing our asses off and joking about the pie, wondering if cherry pie would feel different than an apple. Someone made a comment about cream pie and we almost pissed ourselves. Eventually the joke became a plan and next thing I knew we were all standing in line at the grocery store, each with a single apple pie in hand, nervous smiles plastered on our faces. Looking back, I can only imagine that the poor old cashier thought she, as she checked us all out, each paying the change we found in our piggy banks. Giggling as we walked away, we left the store pies in hand, eager to see our, for ourselves what all the fuss was about. We promised to meet up in the morning before the first period to talk pie and how awesome we all were. What can I say? We were horny stupid kids that needed to get laid, and the only thing that would even come close to letting us touch them were those fresh from the bakery pies. For me, the experience was life-changing. It was the beginning of a masturbatory obsession that I never outgrew. After the first night of pleasantries with the pastry, I was hungry for more, although I won't get into all the sordid details. I will admit I had relations with every pastry imaginable. No roll or baguette, puff pastry or short crust that was safe from my wantonness member. After a while, I moved on from baked goods to something more uncooked. For a year, I enjoyed every fruit and vegetable you could bore a hole through or squish together, revering in the cruel crispiness and the variety of textures. But soon as I wanted something more, I was on the hunt for something different. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to The Guild, the podcast form of W. A-R-G, the Writers, Artists, and Readers Guild. My name is Chris Mary Holtman, and I am your host. Um, well, it's been quite uh, the week. Um, as I said last time, uh, we, I was talking about maybe doing like an interlude uh, episode where I was going to talk to you about wh- where I am uh, moving over from the regular homepage to the Wisconsin Noir homepage, what Wisconsin Noir is, uh, all the details and news about my own writing and stuff like that. Uh, And that was my plan, but that didn't work out because I got deathly ill uh, Sunday, uh, two weeks ago. Um, Not really. I got the flu pretty bad on uh, Monday, actually. And then I've been laid out, haven't been able to do anything, not form any cognitive thoughts. So now I'm behind on everything, work, my writing, podcasting, everything. Uh, The interview that we're doing today, or that um, you're going to listen to today, is with Michelle Rivers. Uh, What I read from the beginning was an excerpt from her uh, short story. 
uh, by the title Electric Love. Um, and well, it's just it was just an excerpt, of course. Um, but Michelle Rivers is a publisher and a writer, a very good person. And it was uh, just uh, great to uh, to have her with us uh, talking about all those things. A um, lot of news coming from her, of course, all of that. And we're going to go through all the details uh, at the end, you know, where you can get books and stuff like that. And as I said, this was actually recorded not, not last Sunday, not this Sunday past, but the Sunday before. Uh, so the exclusive uh, content, the breaking news is not so breaking uh, anymore. But we'll talk about that later. Anyway, um, be very uh, interesting to hear your feedback. If you like what you hear, go in on iTunes and give us a starred review. Uh, five stars or go anywhere where you listen to podcasts and give us a five star review it helps our algorithm as you probably all know but uh oh and also another another piece of news the music that you heard from the beginning was actually written and performed by my brother uh john haltman uh, and that is going to be the theme of the show from from now on forward so that's exciting Maybe some more news at the end, but uh, thank you everyone for tuning in and get ready for uh, the episode. Um, no, I think she's just fascinated by the by the whole um, internet world, kind of the podcasting world and stuff like that. So. I'm fascinated by it, to be yeah. honest. Like, I knew it existed, but it isn't anything that I had really delved into yet. No? So, so yeah, because I spoke to, the in the first interview I did, I spoke to um, Eric Fischel, who was completely new to the whole uh, writing world. He he'd, um, this uh, That was his first book that he had ever written. It got published right away. And then I was going to do research be- about him before I even started podcasting. And there, he had no digital footprint at all. <laughs> he like didn't exist online. And he said, like, I work with computers every day. Uh, I don't want to work with computers when I get home. So, yeah. so, so, uh, but now he, he, I think he was forced to by his publisher that he had, he had to uh, yeah. have an online presence. No, exactly. <laughs> if you want to be in the writing world, Right now, in this kind of atmosphere, you have to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we're, we've already kind of started the, the interview, Michelle oh, Rivers. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle Rivers, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yes. And you have to say we've, we're doing a lot of firsts. So we've had our, we had our first horror uh, author with Andy, and we had our first Brit with Adam, and First, first woman uh, with you. Have you had a Canadian yet, either? Uh, yes, we had. We did. We had uh, oh. Brett uh, Savary, uh, who you might know because he was a publisher in Canada. Oh, okay. Um, he was used to run. Uh, well, the publishing house kind of got into trouble, so it's not really in existence no worries, anymore. I am happy to be the first woman. Yes, very good. Um, you are both a writer and a publisher, and it seems like you're burning the midnight oil 
quite well right now. You're, you seem to be very, very busy. I saw your list on Facebook. This seems to be like a hot period for you right now. Um, yeah, well, we have, we have a lot of stuff going on. We have the call-outs um, that are open to the public, and then we have the monthly contest for our author group on Facebook only. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't get as many stories to read for that because there isn't thousands of people. There's only hundreds. Um, but then we also have the patron page and Twitter, um, Facebook, and then contacting everyone. So it's a lot of stuff that's on my plate. I am doing the majority of it myself. So it's just, uh, I start with the list and I just go bam, 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 bam until it is almost done. <laughs> and then I fall asleep and then I start again. <laughs> yeah. So what made you want to get into the, the publishing uh, business? So, because a lot of people would probably assume that, oh, uh, a writer who can't get published themselves probably start a publishing house so that they can get published. Uh, but you can't only publish your own works. What was the, the what was the idea of, uh, starting a, a publishing house of your own. It's funny you say that. I didn't even get my own story into Forest. No. <laughs> because I was so busy that I missed, like I got it in before the deadline, but I had had so many good stories before I had said mine over to the second readers that they didn't even, they still haven't even read it. No. So... <laughs> So I am not in the first one. So it's definitely not so that I can publish my own works because that's not happening. Um, I think it started because we did put together that one book, Storming Area 51. Mm -hmm. And I was the project manager of it. So I'm the one that kind of got everyone together, made sure that we're following the same type of path in plot. But I also was the one that was in charge of getting the Amazon together making sure the book was formatted although the digital um i ended up getting someone else to do the formatting of it um michelle freeman who's on also on the author line she's a great author mm -hmm. uh, but she did the formatting for that one but i was in charge of like me making sure everything was kind of put together and the stories lined up and i just had a really fun time doing it it was a lot of work but it all it had everything that i liked in it like I enjoy the complexities of putting projects together mm. and I also enjoy the creativity that it takes to do it. So I was like, let's try something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it, it does. It take, I mean, is there a lot of work behind it? It's a lot of effort because here uh, where I am right now in, in, in Sweden, it, uh, there's a lot of red tape and a lot of bureaucracy that you have to go through in order to start your own publishing house. It's not, super easy because they won't give you like a start that you can get startup loans and stuff like that but they won't get it give it one, uh, one to you if they don't believe that you can be a success so you can make any money off of it i mean is it the same where in canada or is it more you know anyone can do it as long as you have the tools well i feel like in canada and i'm sure it's the same with other places if you have the will and the drive you can do whatever you want to do it's just whether or not you're going to succeed so I'm hoping I succeed, but I didn't like, I have a business name. So I applied for a business name and I'm, I, I'm applying to get into the publishing houses of um, like get on their list, but you have to publish so many Canadian authors to be listed with mm -hmm. the Canadian publishing places. Um, but um, 
I'm sure there was probably a loan I could have got. However, I financed everything myself. Mm -hmm. I just, I went about it really quickly. Um, when I started, cause again, we started the whole thing in September. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that was when we put storming area 51 out. So I didn't, by the time I put the, um, the anthologies together, I hadn't really thought about, okay, how do I go about getting the government to assist me? It was more of, okay, I can do this. I'm going to put this, devote these funds towards marketing and mm. um, business expenses, like websites, <laughs> licenses. <laughs> I think, I think Amazon, yeah, Amazon does help in a, in a bit because it kind and of that, yeah. gives you an idea of what the prices should be for certain types of books or eBooks and stuff like that. So that, that might I be a big know. boon. Yeah. And also with the, the digital world as is, um, it isn't hard to necessarily put the words out there. Mm -hmm. You can, anybody can self publish. It's yeah. just whether or not you're able to get those words and your stories into other people's hands. It's all about word of mouth and making sure people are aware that you are creating and what you're creating and then give them a need, make them want to read it. Yeah. And that's what the difficult part is. And that's a lot of what I think a lot of places where us indie authors tend to forget. We think the hardest part is getting a book together. It isn't. <laughs> No. It isn't even the longest part of it. The longest part, like the hardest part of any book is marketing it. Mm. Yeah, I can see That's that. Where you're, yeah. Because yeah, I was talking to John Fessmeyer about that, who is an, 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 an indie author, and he says like a lot of tools that you need to have is, uh, you know, the formatting skills, but also uh, putting together, you know, a package that people will, that'll pe want people to read your book that makes it look interesting. If you do have the digital tools, if you can do a, a, a trailer, for instance, for your book, that's so much better because it'll bring attention in a world where we were talking about internet and the digital part, everybody is bombarded with so much different in uh, information. And just exactly. saying that I wrote a book and put out a, a book cover on your social media feed, it tends to get lost. If you have something that moves, moving pictures, people stop and take a look. Yeah, they'll look for an extra second. So make sure that if you're doing it, you're doing it so that it's catchy. Hmm. Absolutely. But and, and it's true. Like, I think there was over a million self-published books last year. Yeah. How are people going to be driven to your one book if you aren't putting the money and the effort into publishing it? Uh, producing it yeah not marketing it sorry <laughs> yeah, well either or i mean all those things are, are true all of those things are valid and i think and that's the problem here in in, in sweden and I, I can't speak for the rest of europe because i think like at least france and great britain have a very flourishing indie and self-publishing market and, and and independent publish publishers um, what I what I find here is that people are still very very conservative when it comes to what books to read, and in what format. Digital books are very very uncommon here. Uh, they don't have anything. Aww. They they do have ebooks and you can buy ebooks, uh, but most of the time, I mean, people don't really have e-readers. It just hasn't blossomed. There's still a a group of people 
um, that say, no, I need to, to hold a physical book. And that's fine if you want to hold a physical book, but there are alternatives and they just don't, they don't see, see that as a, as a valid thing. You know, newspapers are still very much a thing here. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that does that creates um, a scarcity on the market. Uh, I've noticed, like whatever you that whatever gets published here in Swedish, for instance, is always on the behest of the big publishers. They decide what people should read. Well, yeah, I guess like if you don't have a lot of small publishing houses, you're probably not getting a lot of influx of different types of materials. But if you're like if you have access to the books that you're published in, could you not go to the small indie press publishers and see if you can get some books delivered? Yeah. And then you go out and see if you can put them in? Absolutely. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sure that that would work. And uh, my idea was to kind of start a publishing house where you could translate, because even if Swedes here are good at English, a lot of them aren't that good that they can read so my yeah. idea was to to that translate um yeah. indie authors in american or british indie authors into swedish and that would be and then you can publish uh, that would bring in the, the money and then you can publish swedish indie authors that was kind yeah. of the business plan well that's a really interesting idea i think it would work mm -hmm. there, well if you have a market for it and you know people are interested in it I would obviously do a little bit more research before you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are always looking to expand from the English worldwide distribution and looking for more um, other languages. So I'm sure they would love to have some, someone that's reputable. Oh my gosh, can't speak words today. <laughs> someone that can do it for them in a way that, um, would make sense and then also open the market to that region would be amazing yeah and if nothing else just knowing that your book is published in a different language in a different country is uh you know fun inspirational or what have you absolutely that's pretty that. cool so what have you found is the most difficult part of being a publisher uh contrary to being just an author um Time-wise, it's getting through all of the submissions, um, and that's honestly my, I didn't quite realize how many submissions we were going to get. We had estimated we'd be getting so many a day, and I don't know what I did, but I did it correctly, because <laughs> I tapped into some sort of vein out there of indie, pub, uh, indie writers um, and published authors, and all of a sudden, the last three weeks of the submission call, we started getting double and then we started getting triple. Um, so where I had caught up completely and I was like, oh, I can handle this. If we get 10 submissions a day, no problem. But then one day we got 65. Okay. And I was, and I'm like, I can't read 65 submissions in a day. No. <laughs> like my brain, like I can't, I don't have time. Like I've got a kid. I do these. A lot of the reading it gets done between like seven o'clock um, in the morning and ten o'clock, and at nighttime between eleven o'clock and one o'clock, because mm. that's like everyone's sleeping time, yeah. <laughs> except for my sleeping time. My sleeping time is never. Yeah. So, um, so I was like, okay, well, you know what? 
that's that is uh, time wise the hardest part is getting through them all because I want to make sure I'm giving all of them consideration so I'm not skimming I'm actually reading them all word for word um, but emo like I want to say emotionally but mentally the hardest part is probably writing someone a rejection letter mm. I hate that yeah, I, I know like being an indie author myself I hate receiving them I know sometimes my stories I'm just throwing in because I'm like, okay, well maybe this kind of fits. Mm. So I know some people are expecting it, but either way, I know how hard it is to put your words on paper. I know that some people really take effort and consideration and really like they get people to beta read, they get people to edit and you can tell that, but sometimes things just don't fit. Um, so I hate writing those letters. That's those are my two the things I hate that are the hardest for me. Do you ever get to a point where you where you're reading and you just like, I have to stop here because I've read so many stories and I'm this one just it, it it's not sinking in, uh, or is it that this just doesn't work or this is too similar to something else I've I've read or, I mean where where in the day do you feel like. I've got to stop right here where the, the signs are like, I'm not getting through this. Or is that a sign that the story in itself is not interesting enough? Sometimes that's a story. Sorry. Sometimes that is my hint of, okay, this is something that just, if it isn't pulling me in, then it, this story is just not working. Um, and I put it away and I'll read it again just to make sure. Um, but there is sometimes during the day where I, Like you can only read 20 stories in a row before your start, mm -hmm. your brain starts to go, okay, this isn't working anymore. Or sometimes at least with the drabbles, and this is the weirdest part with the drabbles, because I did want them so horrific mm -hmm. and they were like, I was asking for horror and for people to rewrite them. Um, I ended up getting halfway through one day, really desensitized to gore. Yeah. So I was reading <laughs> some that were coming in and I was, and I sent this one, um, gentleman back saying, look, this isn't horrific enough. I need you to do something else. Um, and then he sent me something else and it was so horrific. And I read back to his other one and I was like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, why, why was this not good enough? It was great. It had good imagery. It was perfect. But uh, the problem was that I was so, I got so desensitized as I was going through that I was like, no, unless you're murdering everybody in the town and then, gripping the blood all over yourself so you can raise the demon it's not good enough so i had i learned there i had to pull myself back a couple times to be like you are being a little bit weird <laughs> so it may be a little bit worrying i guess yeah and like i do read a lot of horror obviously at night i yeah. read it in the day so sometimes like it sometimes feels like maybe i just i feel like i could come up to like this an awful crash somewhere and I'd be like the cool calm collected one going okay everybody <laughs> there isn't a lot of blood so it has to be fine exactly <laughs> it was like I, I I recognize this I can I, I can live through this this is fine yeah some yeah. some dark and horrible god has arisen <laughs> but I think we're going to be okay because there aren't rivers of blood there's a slow exactly. trickle um, although one night I was walking it was at two o'clock in the morning I was walking from my computer room to the bedroom and I was carrying my phone and my phone beeped at me and it caused like 
a refraction of light in my glasses and I swore I saw something in front of me and I almost like full screamed because I had just read like this ghastly story and I was like oh my gosh Michelle (laughs) we need to just relax a moment there's no ghosts in this house and I know there isn't because I checked yeah um so I'm like just oh because sometimes, like, yeah, you cannot read so much before you're just like, okay, I can't handle it anymore. So, yes, the answer is yes, that does happen. <laughs> well, we were talking, so, so you mentioned Storming Area 51, and then you have um, Forgotten Ones, uh, drabbles about uh, old-timey gods or forgotten gods or creatures of different kinds, as I understand. I mean, I've, I've uh, read through the the copy that I was given. So there's a, a bunch of different things going on there, not only, only gods. Um, and that's what's coming out. It's coming out in April, correct? Yeah, April second is when the ebook will be ready. Um, and yeah, exactly that. It's encounters with old gods, um, creatures of myth and legend, and it also has some like old dark rituals um, involved as well. And I did ask for these ones to be pretty horror themed. So, mm. although they're all a scale of horror, some some of them aren't as blood dripping gory but um <laughs> and some are a little bit um i'm gonna say nicer but nicer is not the right word <laughs> friendlier kinder no not PG even pg-13 in an r-rated world like maybe, start maybe at like a level three of a horror and go all okay. the way up to 10 okay. so they're still in the horror genre but they're not as uh, horrific mm. What was interesting with the, with this one, because, I mean, I have uh, three Drabbles in it, and these were actually my first attempt at uh, writing a Drabble. I tend to get very wordy, so it's actually very good practice for myself. It's a, it's a great writing exercise about learning how to cut. Yeah, because if there's anything I'm bad at, it's cutting. I just was going to send in a story to, to Dark Region in, uh, um, I think they're from England, I'm not sure. Um, but, and it was supposed, it was a hard 8,000 and I was up to, I was up to 10 when it was done. So I had to cut it down and I cut it down to 8,750 and that was my limit. It's just like, no, I can't do it anymore. Uh, too much of the story will get lost. Yeah. So, but I came across Forgotten Ones uh, through a website or a Facebook group called Call for Submissions and I found that. That was interesting because most of the call for submissions in that group are for like reviews or online magazines and often poetry. So I think that's uh-huh. stuck out. Very seldom it's uh, it's an actual publisher that is publishing a book that puts out on that call for submission. So I think that was probably a big boon. One of the reasons maybe you got so much attention. Yeah, definitely. We got a lot of attention from those groups um, and Twitter as well. Um, I think we got a couple of people retweeting them and then people got interested and started following. Um, so however you found us, I'm glad you found us because I really enjoyed your travels. Well, thank you. As I said, they were my first try. So I, I was, and, and probably like many people, I just sent them in on a whim. Um, and, and then and now you're hooked. Yes. Now I'm hooked. Cause now, so now I'm submitting travels to, to nocturnal sirens and and mm-hmm. stuff like that so it's um about fairies so we'll see how yeah. how that does but what what 
as a publisher, and we're, we're going to go into your to your author, your your <laughs> the part of you that is an author. But as a as a, and I think a lot of people want to know, as a publisher, no matter what the call is, what bring what what is a creates a bigger chance or opportunity for for a person to become accepted. Because I think there's an idea that maybe the manuscript needs to be completely clean. I know that there are some publishers that say that. If that needs to be grammatically correct, it needs to be beta read, it needs to be, you know, high quality. Is that always true? Um, there, there are two things that I really think a lot of people need to pay attention to when they're sending things in. We are dealing with indie authors and people that can't necessarily afford editors. So we totally get if your manuscript has a few errors here and there, um, especially with commas. I am the worst with commas. So I know whenever Elena gets my stuff to go through she's just like ripping her hair out <laughs> um like for those like small editing errors we totally get like we understand that and we're, we're expecting it which is why i which is why i hired alana as the editors for the the anthologies because i knew that things were going to slip through the cracks and i knew that i couldn't find them all mm. so i was like hey i need someone that can do this for me um but the biggest thing that i want to do you need to have something beta read? No. But is it better to have something beta read? Yes. Sometimes as authors, when we have an idea in our head and we put it on paper, sometimes there are things that don't necessarily line up. We know what we mean because in our brain, we've seen the pictures. We've watched it as a video go through as we're typing it out. We know how it's supposed to flow, but sometimes that doesn't transcribe properly in word so it is great to have a couple of people or even a critique group that will read through it and being like hey you jump timelines here and here mm. and it doesn't quite flow properly or your main character you started calling him sam and then you moved it to um tom and then you changed it back to sam at the end so like those things are really important or the biggest one, I know that sometimes we're talking about horror and a lot of times we want paranormal or superstitious, uh, supernatural, sorry, mm. supernatural kind of elements in there. Um, but some, sometimes people's reactions to things that are happening don't make sense. So if you have a character that just witnessed, I don't know, their child being murdered. Or uh, that's really horrifying. Um, let's say their cat being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> their reaction has to be relatable. Mm -hmm. You know, like you can't have you can't have something happen or not make sense. Or if you're bringing in, if you're trying to be scientific in it, and you're bringing in um, a doctor, or you're bringing in. Uh, police to investigate a scene you want to make sure that the dialogues reflect how they would actually speak yeah that's probably my thing so and a lot of beta readers or friends or other authors will be able to catch those little things yeah. so i think that's my biggest thing is have someone read it to catch those little things that you aren't seeing Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried to. I kind of like made a decision just actually this this week that I think I want my my I I do try to get as much 
fader red as possible. Uh, although sometimes it just isn't time. Um, oh yeah, like if you don't have time, you don't have time. No. I, I've I've sent stuff in before. I, I will say though, if you wrote something yesterday and you're sending it to me today, yeah, then ninety percent <laughs> of the time, there's tons of errors in it. It doesn't make sense. You need to be able to look at your work a couple days after and really evaluate it because there's no way you can get a story out in 12 hours and have it completely cohesive and edited for someone to print. No, no, absolutely. Um, you were talking before, before we did this interview, we were talking about that you wanted to uh, talk about all the lovely people that you've uh, come in contact with through uh, Erie River. Um, do you want to discuss that a little bit before we move on? What what has it given you the the uh, what possibilities has has being a publisher given you? The possibilities. Well, it's more of just the community that we've built um, on that Facebook page. The author Facebook page is amazing. Everyone is so positive. Everyone's really just uplifting and um, just wonderful to deal with. It's amazing how. And the one thing that I love about the indie community is that everybody is there for everybody. Everyone wants everyone to succeed. Everyone's mostly everyone is willing to read other people's books. Like obviously we can't read everyone's books. We can't buy everybody's books. No one is that rich. No, no, definitely <laughs> All of us not. have too many books coming out, but to be, to actually offer to do a review if you have time and then actually put a review out is amazing. I understand not, not everyone does put reviews out and it could to me that necessarily that normally says, okay, I thought it was three star or less. So I don't want to put a review in, no. um, which I think is wonderful because I would rather have no review than a three star <laughs> or less, <laughs> but it's just wonderful how everyone kind of rallies around each other. We're all trying to build each other up and just to be able to be a part of that community um, is great. Mm -hmm. Had you had much contact with other publishers beforehand, before you started your own? Uh, I was talking about, we were discussing the the Canadian author that I had interviewed before, um, Brett Severy. Uh, Cheezine was his publishing house that he had. It existed in, uh, specialized in supernatural horror, existed for over 20 years in Canada. Um, but have you had any contact with uh, or heard of, do you get help from other publishers um, I haven't necessarily gotten help from any other publishers, um, but I have talked to, it's more of honestly the indie authors that I've really been um, kind of talking to or some of the like traditional published authors that mm -hmm. I'm communicating with and just kind of going back and forth on and getting hints and tricks, that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then some of the indie publishing houses, like Natalie and Melody, that do that Nocturnal Sirens. Yeah. Um, just having a a good dialogue with them has been great. Mm. Um, and 
you're you're specializing in horror, and it seems to be that it seems to me that most smaller in that put out anthologies um, do horror because I think there's a lot of horror authors out there. It's a big market and it's so broad. You can do so many things with horror and supernatural fiction. But are you going to continue forward just doing anthologies, or are you thinking about maybe putting out single author books in the future? Yeah, we actually. I will be opening up single author submission, like queries, um, this year. I just want to make sure that I have the resources needed and that are available for it. Uh, funny that you asked, though, I do have one single author book coming out in August. Okay. It's uh, about to be announced pretty soon, actually. It's with uh, TJ Lee. Mm. He is a... He did write in the Forgotten Ones. He's got a couple drabbles in there. Um, but he's probably best known for uh, like a viral sensation uh, creepypasta story called The Expression List. Okay. And he put together um, a series on no sleep that we uh, thought was amazing. So what we decided to do is condense it all together Um give it some extra contact uh, content, rework it, and we're actually going to be releasing it as a book in August. No. Is that an exclusive here on the podcast, or had you... Uh... This is an exclusive oh. on the podcast. There you go, <laughs> yeah. people, an exclusive. TJ Lee's, can you, is there a title for the book yet, or...? Uh, yes, there is. I just want to make sure I get it right. <laughs> of course. But um, yeah, for sure. it's uh, we're really excited about it. It's the spaces in between mm-hmm. by T.J. Lee, and so we're we're going to be announcing it pretty soon in the next couple of days. Um, uh, but yeah, we're just getting everything together to make the big announcement, and uh, we're really excited about it. Yeah, August thirty first is when it's going to be released. That is very very cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully and once I again once I figure out. <laughs> like all the resources that are needed, I'll be able to find out how many books we are in fact will be able to handle mm. um, every year. Cause I, I don't want to over promise to authors. Like no. I don't want to say I'm going to be able to do this, 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 cause that's my first instinct is to just jump into everything when what I really need to do, I want to make this work. Mm. So I want to make sure that I'm following the steps that I need to do in order to make it successful for everybody. Yeah. And that's probably very, very smart. Um, so that was the publishing part. Now, how long have you been writing and why, why horror in particular? Um, how long have I been writing? Uh, I was asked this not too long ago and I, with reflection, I realized that I've actually been writing since I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) I used, I started out, I used to write lyrics to songs and make up my own little poems in high school, I had a three ring binder that was filled with a lot of teen angsty poems. Yeah. <laughs> I try to tell my students there's a difference between angsty teen poetry and good poetry. When we talk no, about poetry. No, not when you're a teenager. No, not when you're a teenager. I said like these things can sound very, very teenage angsty. I I stay away from that. <laughs> I'm going to uh, my next goal once you settle down is I'm going to go find those poems and I'm going to 
put them online because I think I have a feeling they're going to be hilarious to yeah. read in like retrospect. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did that when I was a teenager. I even had one poem that was published in my high school literary magazine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that was my first published work when I was 16 year old. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> then I went to school for accounting because, you know, nothing's more boring than numbers yeah. <laughs> and, and I realized it wasn't for me I needed something more creative um in my 20s I did write a lot but I never really shared it publicly I well I never shared it publicly a couple people saw it um I was really into dark fantasy and epic fantasies at the uh, at the time so I do have a few started like novels that have started by but I never really finished them. I got to chapter three or chapter four on a couple of them um, before I hid them away, which is why I really do enjoy the short stories because mm. you can get so much accomplished in a short story, yeah. like finishing it. <laughs> um, it wasn't, I didn't put anything online or put anything out there until about um, a couple of years ago when I, uh, really discovered that there was this indie author community. I didn't, I honestly, I don't know where I was. I was hidden under a rock somewhere in Edmonton, Alberta <laughs> for like seven years. And I, I didn't quite realize that people put their written word out on the internet for people to read. I discovered no sleep and then got hooked. The first stories I read, I thought were true. And I, I died a little <laughs> inside when I read them because I, I think I started reading the forest, mm-hmm. um, search forest ranger one. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. And then I realized what it was. But um, so it was then that I put my first short story out on the internet. And it was since then um, I've just been hooked. Like the idea that someone wants to read my my work has just made me really invested in this mm-hmm. and, and where do you usually find your inspiration or um you, you were talking about like why horror and, and just like like you i started my oh, why horror yeah. um why horror i think it's because that's just what i'm drawn to reading and writing like even before i started writing horror I always, I've always had a dark sense of humor. Mm. My husband does always go, why do you have to go so dark? And I'm like, why do you have to be such a stick in the mud? (laughs) Um, Like, I just, I think there's certain things that I think are really funny. As a kid, we used to play with the Ouija board. My mom swears there was ghosts in my grandparents' house. There are ghosts in my parents' house. Like, I'm one of those people that I I kind of believe in that stuff. So I just, I love it. Mm. I love walking horror and I just, I, I'm just drawn to the, like, I don't know, the emotional impact that it can have, like watching and reading a really good horror story. Like I love that adrenaline surge of being terrified, but also knowing that I'm completely safe. Like I don't actually want to experience a werewolf attacking me. Then <laughs> Adam uh, Davis and I were discussing that part of how do you know, what is truly scary because as an author you usually 
you know what's going to happen. Most of the times you know what your story is going to, where it's going to end up, where you want it to be. And then, of course, the story has a tendency to take on a life of its own. Uh, stuff starts happening that you had no control over. But what is your idea of, like, where, where, what do you think of when you think this should be scary? I want it to be people to be shocked. Um, so how, how do you deal with that, you know, knowing if it's something is scary enough? Something is scary enough. I guess it's the feeling that you get while you're actually writing it. Like sometimes when you're writing something, if you can imagine it and get goosebumps, or if, if you're writing something and you look over your own shoulder and you're like, okay, wait, is somebody over there? <laughs> I, I think that's how you know when it's scary enough. And then if not, um, just go to place one and then next day add even more to it. Mm. Like just, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I guess it just depends yeah. on whether or not like I leave the lights on as I leave the computer room at two o'clock in the morning or if I'm able to turn them off. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like people who write splatter punk more, not that they have an easier time, but I mean, oftentimes Splatterpunk has a more, it has to be violent, it has to be gory, and that's one part. It's kind of like that shock value, how how uh, shocking can it be, whereas I find traditional horror more plays on the psychological part, what scares people. As you said, looking over one's shoulder. I tend to not get so scared when I read a scary story, but after I read Reanimator by H.P. Lovecraft, I did look over my shoulder when I walked home at night, imagining footsteps behind me. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's what it does the, to you. For me, that's the best. Like if I'm getting a reaction while I'm reading something or if I'm being drawn in, then I know it's a good story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's probably very, very true. Um, so what the, do you have anything special going on when it comes to writing? Are you publishing anything of your own in some other anthology for some other publishing house? Or are you just mainly focusing on publishing, publishing other people's work right now? Right now, I had I did have some plans to put some things into other publishing houses, but I honestly don't have time right now. <laughs> um, so what I'm working on, or at least plotting in my head, is... Um, a series of short um, no, uh, novellas that is based on a character that uh, I did write a short story for. So in my head, I have an idea of what I would like to put out um, in probably late 2021. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a long way away. So I'm hoping I'll have time to actually put it to put it together. But right now I'm, I'm really just focusing on what we're putting out for other people and hoping that what I write for it can actually get into it. <laughs> is, is that a worry? Because I was reading uh, a, a book called Ancestors and Descendants, which was a an anthology based on Lovecraft stories, but it was supposed to be prequels and sequels to the stories. So there was yeah. other people writing. And the, the editor himself had the first story, and it was by far the weakest story in the anthology, my subjective opinion. Um, is that is that a fear of yours? If you like, you put your own story in there, it, be, it becomes accepted, and people just look at it just like, "Oh, that was absolutely, 
Uh, which is why I was like, I'm making sure that I'm having someone else read this and make sure that it does fit within what we're going for. Um, Cause although yes, I am the project manager, I'm not necessarily putting these out for me. I'm putting no. these out for the authors and the same goes for Alana, who is our editor. Um, I told her she's not getting in. Um, like she, she doesn't just like me, she does not guarantee to get into every anthology we put in. She has to submit. It has to be read. It has to be reviewed. Mm. Um, so if it doesn't work for either of us, it doesn't work, which is, um, and I hope to keep, and not, not, I hope I'm going to keep that same standard throughout. Um, unless we're putting out a book that is just me, then obviously I'm getting in that one. <laughs> um, or just, or if she's putting together a collection of anthologies for some friends and she, uh, with some friends and she wants me to, uh, put it out as a, a published work for her, I will do that. Um, but I'm not guaranteeing anybody a spot in any of the anthologies unless their writing deserves to be in it. Mm. And I, that's very, uh, that's very wise and it's very smart way of thinking to keep that, that standard and knowing that, because I think a lot of times and, and in the, the Facebook group, there's a lot of, and authors are very sensitive people because you put yourself out there, but there's always of that course. continuous question. I haven't gotten a reply yet. I haven't gotten a reply yet. Uh, and I don't really know. Uh, I mean, I can, uh, I can see that. I can understand that feeling um but you know how you i mean you have to be very strong and just like no i'm not just i'm not going to accept people just because they keep asking or they're very worried and i don't want to disappoint anybody yeah um i have and that's again why the emotional toll is probably the hardest part because there are some people that i genuinely like that ask a lot about whether or not their stories are getting in and sometimes their stories aren't getting in. Um, and it's sometimes it's me not wanting to write that email yesterday that I should have wrote yesterday. Mm. And that's why they're asking, like, I knew that I should have wrote it. I knew, <laughs> knew that they were wondering, but I just, I didn't want to write it. <laughs> like I emotionally did not want to write it yet, but I should have. Um, so I've decided from here on out, I'm just doing it. Um, because it isn't fair for people to wonder. No. Um, and I have to be able to put that emotional part aside because it, when it comes down to its business, I want this, these books to, I want these books to succeed. My whole, whole idea of putting this together was that I wanted high quality anthologies. Um, and I'm not saying that I haven't seen high quality anthologies before, but that was my goal. I wanted to be the best and I'm not saying I'm going to be the best, but I'm going to get really close. I'm telling you. <laughs> That's good. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, and I, I think I said that to uh, Drew Starling is I, my, when I fell in love with horror as a genre, because I necessarily didn't write horror from the beginning. I was I, an, an uh, aspiring fantasy author uh, until I realized that that wasn't really my game. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I did. It was an anthology. That was what I when I fell in love with horror stories. It was a monster anthology. Yeah. Uh, it was two volumes, over five hundred pages each, going from like ancient Greece uh, to I think the book must have been published originally in nineteen seventy five. So 
whatever okay. was uh can't can't remember who was uh, sturgeon or, or theater sturgeon or something like that might have been the final story uh but i completely found just knowing how high quality stories obviously and just beautifully edited as well by a wonderful yeah. editor so and I think that can that that does some a lot for the genre, and it also I think does a lot for people who are reading it and seeing like this is what can be put out there. This is what people who aren't uh, published by Tor or Del Rey or whatever uh, are bringing to the table. Yeah, because like the voices that I'm getting in these stories are amazing. Not every single voice necessarily resonates with the theme but the mm -hmm. stories themselves are great um so i really want to be able to like i know that we're doing two volumes and i know a lot of people are like oh sometimes the second volume isn't just going to be as good it's going to be <laughs> just as good if not better and you're talking be about it, it calls from the forest it no. calls from the forest the stories that i am reading for it calls from the forest are either just as good or better than the first one. I'm very excited about both volumes coming out. Um, we have such such a great, unique um, variety of themes that were that people got from just the idea of what could call you from the forest. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I, I'm really excited about it, but yes, I am definitely worried if my story gets in that people are going to be like, meh, <laughs> worst one. And it's definitely not going to be the first one in the book. Can I <laughs> put it somewhere There's in no the middle? I'm going to let people read my story first so they can be like, oh, judgy. No, like, at least get four stories in. <laughs> it has a, uh, this is, I think, uh, was something that I was personally wondering uh, with the amount of submissions that you got from it calls for from the forest and that as well as the drabbles. How many stories were because when I was when I submitted stories, I was feeling like the, they were stories that I had before and I just needed to edit them and change them around a little bit so it fit the format better. But how many stories are similar? How often do you come across stories that are, well, that's a, kids finding an old ho abandoned house in the, in the forest and something crazy lives in there. I mean, how many similar stories or was there a theme that always seemed to come back? Huh. We definitely had a lot of similar ones in the uh, travels. Um, a lot of, ones of gods looking over in the mankind and being very moody and saying they were coming for vengeance. Um, so I did accept a couple of them, but then at the end I was declining them like, no, we're not looking for this. We're not looking for this. We're not looking for this. Um, so I feel like the drabbles we definitely, um, the force ones. Yes, we do have, we do have a lot of similar running themes. Um, there's always going to be an animal attack one. Um, but I think they've all been done. It's weird that you say that because the writing themselves are so different that although that, yeah, they kind of are similar in theme, they're completely different. Like they, they don't even resemble each other at all because some are done in first person, mm -hmm. some are done in third person, um, I definitely made sure that I wasn't selecting a lot of the same exact stories or even the same exact type of horror. Um, I have a list of them so that we were making sure we were doing 
a variety of, again, if we're going from a scale, we've got a variety of ones that are 10 where we're, we're, we're killing everybody. Mm. And then we have ones that are a little bit lower where the idea of the horror is there, but we're not actually seeing it. Um, but we are feeling the intensity of it. So um, I, I've tried to vary it and I've tried to make sure that I'm varying the themes of them as well as the characters involved. And, and yeah, that of the, the Drabbles and Forgotten Ones, what was the most common god that you came across? Which was the most popular a... god that uh, people, or maybe even region, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Uh, we definitely got a f quite a few Odins. Mm. Um, we got a few Lokis. We did get quite a few Kelpies, uh, Kelpie stories. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did have to send, yeah, I did have to, I think I had, I ended up publishing two or three of them. Uh, I did send uh, at least two or three back where I was like, we just had this. Uh, same with banshees. I had a lot of banshees. I sent a couple of banshees back. Um, that would be more, something. There's something for fatal fairies, kelpies, and banshees. They could always submit yeah, exactly. them to. I think so. I'm not sure if that call out is specific to winged creatures or. A fairy, no, I have to. Fairies in general, I think it is. And and when a banshee isn't necessarily a fairy, but a kelpie def definitely falls into that category if my guide to irish fairies is correct well it should because it's a part of the fey world but well we can have that that debate later <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> that's that's a debate the people that are deciding the, the story <laughs> yeah let them decide yes let them decide well, uh, I think our time here is uh, winding down, but it feels like we could talk for, for forever about so many different varieties of, of things. Um, is there something that you would like to, if you'd like to, you'd like to add that you haven't gotten, gotten out there? Um, I don't know. I just, uh, did you want me to talk about the callouts that we have coming Absolutely. Up? That was my next question. So we can delve into the callouts. What kind of callouts do you have coming up? <laughs> we have one that is open now. It is horror. Um, same as the forest. This one is uh, going to be called It Calls from the Sky. Mm -hmm. So anything sky related, acid rain, feral bats, comets, um, aliens if you want to, airplane horror, anything. Uh, it doesn't have to take place in the sky where it, the forest, I was asking for majority of it to take place in an actual forest. Mm. Uh, the sky one just has to be that the bad or evil things have to come from the sky. Uh, so airborne viruses would also work mm -hmm. in case anyone is thinking plague, which is essentially what's happening in the world right now. Yes, very um, apropos. <laughs> exactly. uh, for people that are our patron members, because we do have an patron account, which is actually what our month, why we can afford to do the monthly uh, contests. Mm -hmm. um, for patron members, um, we have a dark fantasy anthology that is open right now. Yeah. Um, it's about elemental magic. I'm still working on the title, but it's elemental magic. This one is more 
novelette or novella style. So it's a much higher word count. It's 7,000 to 15,000. We're only going to be picking around 10 stories, but depending on the quality that we receive, we may look into splitting the book up into a couple different novels. Mm -hmm. um, that one for the public is open April 1st. Okay. So that one is going to be open soon. Um, and then if you are a member of our Facebook author group, um, we have monthly contests running every month yes. for, uh, yeah, and everything is themed. So this month is hauntings, so haunted houses, haunted museums, anything you want that's haunted. Um, and then, uh, yeah, next month is a new, a, a new theme. The winners of that get um, the top two winners of the monthly themes, if, if you're not a member, um, get put on our patron account for readers to enjoy. And then it's going to actually be put into an anthology at the end of the year. And that will also be a royalty split. Mm -hmm. So just cool. another way of getting into an anthology. Yes, that's uh, very, very cool. Um, and then you had, well, that's coming up later. I think calls from the sea, right? That's something that's going to yeah. come up in, in this, like in several months, I guess. Yeah, it calls from the sea will be open. I can't remember. Uh, it's definitely at least four months away. And that, that would be anything that takes place in or around the sea. It's very water-based, just, and this again is a horror um, anthology. Um, and then we probably will be doing one more drabble, but it's going to be closer to the end of the year after things die down. Mm -hmm. um, and that one is going to be fantasy-based because okay. we want to we want to spread out our horror and our dark fantasy because those are our two niche genres that's what we like that's what we want to do very good and can you just i mean i think people have an idea of what horror is but when you're talking dark fantasy because uh, i think there is a the lines are very blurred and especially thanks to the book rhetorics of fantasy uh, that kind of redefine what fantasy genres are uh, is dark fantasy the same thing as grim dark or is it something completely different what does grim jerk mean? <laughs> grim dark is uh well like game of thrones um joe abercrombie's uh, books um kind of like a like a fantasy world which isn't heavy on magic and is more reality based you know the characters okay. are more realistic they, there's a tendency that they can most of them can die you know and it's a higher level of kind of like realism to them okay um for me bar dark fantasy encompasses anything that's dark uh, that's fantasy um so as long as it has fantastic or fantasy elements it's an, it it's allowed however this specific call out um is based uh the theme itself is elemental magic mm. so it does have to rely on elemental magic as a plot point um but that doesn't mean that we won't have a dark fantasy call out in the future where it could be more grim fantasy. Mm. But I like, like, I enjoy reading both of those subgenres. Um, so I would love to print both of those subgenres. Mm. Um, it's just that this specific one, we wanted to do a magic theme. Yeah. yeah. Well, that sounds fun. That's interesting. I think I'm going to uh, try, try to, to uh, send something in for that. I have, two stories that I've been working on for years that would probably work pretty well. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs>
Um, so, Michelle, where can people find you if they are looking on the internet? If you're looking on the internet, uh, we are we have a an, an actual website at www.erieriverpublishing.com that has uh, a list that has our blog on there. We have a submission call out which goes through all the submissions that are open and coming up. We also have uh, the books where which will link you to the Amazon or wherever else they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, on Twitter, we're at Erie River. And on Facebook, we're at Erie River as well. I also am on Instagram, although I tell you, I don't have enough time. (laughs) (laughs) I was doing really good for about a week, and then I kind of forgot it was there. So um, I'm going to try to get back into the swing of uh, the Instagram, but I'm probably most available at our author group um, and then on Twitter. I think, yeah, the same with me. I uh, as Social media is so important as an indie author and indie creator overall, but there are Absolutely. so many platforms and you don't know which ones to choose, which one, what is people mostly going to come in contact with? And I think if you want to contact authors and more maybe skew a little bit older than it's Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, I've understood, is a lot younger. Uh, thanks for calling me old. <laughs> well, I was kind of calling myself <laughs> old because I don't barely use Instagram myself. <laughs> But it's, it's it's interesting because I, I always understood Instagram just to be like a picture. You know, that's what people put pictures. But, I mean, I guess they do a lot of... It commu- definitely is just pictures, but it's um, it's def- it's a different way of connecting on a little bit more of a personal level. Mm-hmm. I just... Uh, and I love it. I just I have an issue. Most of my graphics are from my computer. And for some reason, I can't get that to transfer onto Instagram. I have to, like, email myself yeah. the graphic. This is how you know how old I am. I have to email or message myself the graphic, upload it to my phone, and then post it from there. Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> and it's not it's not always that you find it on your phone either either like, but i'm sure i downloaded it but then it's in some weird folder that you never find oh my gosh we are just yeah yeah apparently a thousand years old i think yeah yeah the the technology is finally i think has finally like surpassed my capabilities i never thought it would happen yeah. but it did that... Uh, my husband said the same thing because he's very much like he is a computer geek and he was looking at something I was doing. He's like, how are you doing that? I was like, <laughs> I, I finally know something more than you do about programming. So. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I appreciate you stopping by. It was very nice to talk to you. And I hope to talk to you again, maybe when um, it uh, calls from the forest, one or two is published and maybe we can do a little bit of a more of a, you know, marketing thing about it. We can talk a little bit more, uh, more about that book. If there's I time. I love it. Yeah, that sounds great. Just let me know, and uh, I am all yours. <laughs> well, thank you. For one hour. For one hour. Well, thank you. I will let you get back to uh, all the hard work that you do. Um, thank right, you very thank much you. for talking to us. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, it's been fun. <laughs> Well, what a great interview that was, don't you think? A lot of fun to do. Michelle Rivers, good people, uh, very supportive of 
the indie arts, obviously indie writer herself, publisher, does a lot of good uh, for the, the community by just being there. Uh, lots of nice uh, input for tips and tricks, what to expect, uh, what um, she kind of expects of writers as well, uh, in a way. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can support us by giving us a five-star review anywhere you get your podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, uh, and also our homepage. Wherever you find us, you can find us on Anchor, on uh, Spotify, anywhere you can find this podcast. Uh, please also support Erie River Publishing by following them uh, on Twitter uh, or on Facebook. Uh, look for their uh, already published Storming Area 51 with Michelle Rivers, uh, as well as Drew Starling, who we spoke to a couple of weeks back. Uh, also, the upcoming book, Forgotten One, travels about forgotten gods and deities of different kinds the book where i am part of also keep an eye open for it calls from the forest the anthology uh, coming out soon uh, we're going to link all of that in the show notes um yeah so i think another excellent interview in the cards or in the deck whatever you say still a little bit under the weather but i'm trying to get there trying to get better uh, next week next show hopefully we'll have another author slash publisher uh, for you so stay safe thank you for listening and talk to you next time